Welcome back for another episode of Lead with Purpose podcast with me, Shishing Young, where we talk about purpose, marketing, mindset, and how to launch, grow, and scale a purpose-driven business. Today we have an amazing guest with us. Well, all of our guests are amazing, of course. <laughs> but today we have with us Joel Salter. Joe and I met several years ago, uh, actually quite a few years ago, I can't remember when, when Joe was running a, an event in London where I was exhibiting actually uh, my kids' fashion brand at the time. And they had a fashion show, they had lots of suppliers there, they had talks, it was really, really interesting. That was the first time I ever met Joe, and we've been connecting ever since then. Uh, so Joe is an ethical fashion consultant. And she's committed in making the world a better place through all of the work that she does, which is amazing. And in 2013, Joe launched a social enterprise called Where Does It Come From? Creating Kind Clothes That Tell Tales. And we will be talking a little bit more about that and what that means later on. And she also published, she's a published writer and a speaker, and you've had articles in Metro, UK, Juno, Ethical Rebel, Huffington Post. And she also speaks regularly on uh, TV and BBC and radio as well. And she also hosts and speaks at events for businesses, customers and academia, including um, the a talk that she did recently with the government of Rajasthan in India about sustainability or ethical fashion. And in 2021, she launched the Where Does It Come From podcast, hosting discussions on the impacts of stuff on planet and people. And also, Joe is a member of her hometown, it's Ipswich, I can't even say it, Ipswich Fair Trade Steering Group and non-exec director of social enterprises, Kadi London and Etikana. And she's also selected in 2019 as a DEFRA Year of Global Change Ambassador in 2020, Pioneer Post NatWest Wise 100 Women in Social Enterprises. And 2022, she was listed as Top 50 Sustainable Fashion Influencer. And Joe finally is also a um, fellow of the social uh, School for Social Entrepreneurs. Phew, that was a lot of stuff that you've done in the last few years, Joe. That is amazing. I'm blushing. So I'm blushing. <laughs> you have achieved so much in the last few years. I'm really excited to talk uh, to be talking to you about all of your work and also the uh, we're going to go in a little bit about uh, where does it come from and um, and sort of any other new projects that you're working on as well but first of all could I just ask you um, about your journey um, this is something that I do with all of my um, guests I like to find out a little bit about sort of the background the journey that got them from where they were to becoming the purpose-driven entrepreneur that they are now so where where did it all start? Where did it come from? Um, yeah. Firstly, thank you so much for inviting me on, Shaqing. Um, Yes, as you say, we've known each other for a number of years. And I remember that event at the, um, it was the Museum of Brands, wasn't it? Uh, yes. John Conway and I pulled together an event for lots of brands, all pre-COVID. I think that was about 2018, something like that. Um, yeah. And then we worked together you you were became part of the team for the um ethical brands for fashion revolution conference which became an online conference because it was 2020 and it went mad so we worked together very closely on that that was quite a exciting yeah. stroke stressful one so um going back to your question where did it come from 
it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, I think part of it is because my mother is um, a strong woman and a strong Catholic Irish woman. And so I think all through my childhood, there was this sense of doing what's right and morality and looking after other people and community and all of those elements. So it's very important to me. Um, and right from a really young age, I was involved in that kind of those kinds of discussions. So even when I went to um, university and then to work, I started work at BT after I graduated and um, in a sort of range of managerial, professional, technical type roles. But at the same time, I was always fundraising, you know, doing daft things like abseiling off towers and parachute jumps and organizing charity balls and fundraisers for different charities, mainly in the justice side of things because I'm very much um I've got a very strong feeling that the world is not a fair place which I think most of us know but for various historical reasons there are some people who live in other parts of the world who just don't have the same opportunities as us and to be really blunt that's just not fair and I think we have to we have to share we have to share better it's like when you say to your kids can you play better can you share better we need to do that so that's kind of where it all has started and then um I left BT in 2004 um to because it got to a point where although I was doing lots of fundraising there was something in me that was saying come on you've got to do this full time this is where your calling is I suppose and I had enough experience and background behind me thanks to BT to be able to put some of that in practice so I started off working as a consultant with very small um charities brands who had a great idea in that trade justice area and I worked quite often pro bono to try and help them turn that idea into something that's actually going to work and have them making the profit that they want to make um, so I worked with a tea business a fashion business that kind of thing um, mm -hmm. and it was it was about building up my experience in that area as well after working for a big corporate uh, then um, I started up a small um business which was around providing school uniform because when my kids my oldest kid was just starting school and I was really aware of the to be honest quite shitty clothing that they were being put in and we didn't have the background of it we didn't know I, I always say if we didn't know if we're feed, if we're dressing our kids in clothes that are made by kids you know mm. and, and to me that's just really wrong so I I was asking a lot of questions you know where does this stuff come from what's it made of how's it made you know who are the makers etc and um that we did one school, a local school um, that was very forward thinking. And in the end, I moved my children to go there, which is another story. Um, but because I, the head teacher was so amazing. But um, the business didn't work as a business idea, basically because schools um, tend to uh, they own the logo of the school and they make deals with uniform suppliers about that. And those uniform suppliers don't want you having lots of uniform suppliers. So it's really hard to do that. But anyway, so that didn't work, but it was a good learning exercise. And then 2013, I set up Where Does It Come From on the back of that because of that learning about needing to know exactly right back to the fields what things were made of and who was making them. So we had, I had the idea to put a code on the label um, so that customers can actually trace that right the way back, get to see pictures and hear stories about the people who was making that. So that's where that all came from. And then as part of that, I ended up, I call it ranting, but talking, um, you know, writing um and helping other people to 
turn their ideas into something that's going to work. It's about purpose led. You know, you're doing something because you think it's the right thing to do, but you're also trying to have a benefit to other people as well. So I think the social enterprise model works really well for that. Anyway, I'll stop talking and let you know. Just... <laughs> it's fascinating. This is why I quite like um, asking people this question, because usually it comes from somewhere. Um, you know, where there is childhood, the parents is quite often is um, parenting. Um, I hear that quite often with our guests. It's like something that the mom did or dad did or something bad that happened along the way that made them wake up to our current system that is actually not working. So I always find it interesting to hear uh, people's background and then that can kind of journey as well, because entrepreneurship is very much a journey, isn't it? So we go from something and like you say, that not everything is going to be a good idea. Uh, but you you learn a lesson along the way that leads you to do the next thing um so yeah I, I always find it fascinating to hear other people's stories because of course I've gone through my journey as well in the last sort of few years of not knowing anything I think you had a similar journey where you didn't actually know much about fashion and then you got involved in much about fashion <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you you get involved in it and you the more you find out you're kind of like oh yeah what do exactly. we do about that next and also you think I think it's that sense of if something isn't working, you can come in from the outside and say, oh, I can't believe you're doing that like that. You know, why, why would you not? I suppose that there's an element of arrogance to entrepreneurship, because mm. when we're setting up, where does it come from? I was very much in the space of the most important thing is to find out about the journey and find out about the people, you know. And so you'd go, I'd go and work with people, um, mainly in India. We've also worked in Africa and talking about how they make things but then when you talk to people from the fashion industry over here they'll say yeah people don't don't want that you said why not how do you know have you asked them if they want mm. that you know mm. so I think it's about it's about challenging norms actually yeah yeah and I think it's actually it's quite helpful uh, in doing that and I, I remember when um, I first started my brand is that my um, the lady that was doing all my sewing at the time <laughs> she was very frustrated with me <laughs> because I always came up with random ideas why do you do it like this why does it have to be like that and you keep asking these questions and eventually we would figure something new out that nobody has thought of uh, because when you're in a system that you're used to doing certain things in a certain way and you know the, the typical norms you you kind of get confined within that and you carry on doing what is not actually working but when you come from the outside you you kind of trying to break all of those norms that you you don't know that you are you just don't, didn't have their knowledge yeah, you're saying, well, why don't you do it like this or have yeah. you thought about that or whatever or, or, or I think the other thing um you hear people talking about quite a lot at the moment you just say well that's that's wrong that's not right is it can you have a think about that and see if you actually think that the model you're operating is right because yeah. do you want to be working in that model and certainly when I was um first coming into it uh, so that's kind of like kind of, I don't know 20 years ago I suppose coming mm. up to um there was there was a sense of business is business you know you don't you don't um, have to question the morality of business decisions because it's business and business isn't meant to be fair you yeah. know and to me that is just completely wrong you know what you can't just say business is business or all's fair in business you know you know that's that's just rubbish sorry I don't like yeah. that do you think that has changed now uh, from, let's say, 20 years ago? Because we used to hear it a lot. It's like, well, it's just business and it needs to, well, it still needs to make a profit, but in a different sort of way. So that, do you think that we care more about sort of the ethical side or sustainability within business now? Or do you think business is still just business? I think it, it, it very much depends. I mean, I studied um, 
as part of my journey that I didn't mention, actually, I did some qualifications with the Open University because I really wanted to understand about development management. And um, when I was doing that, um, which is going back, um, probably going back around 10 years now, there was a lot of legislation being looked at to make businesses culpable for death. You know, because in the past, if you died because of a business um not doing what it was meant to do or doing something that caused a, a death that there mm. was no sense of the business or the people who owned that business being culpable in any way so I think there are some elements that have changed that business does have more of a responsibility for doing the right thing mm. however I still think there's a huge amount of greenwashing about where businesses think that customers want them to do the right thing and so they are pretending to do the right thing however yeah. saying that there are still lots of businesses that are doing the right thing and doing doing it really well I mean Patagonia springs to mind for yeah. that yeah but they, they, they've been at the forefront of that um, for many years now so can we just go back a little bit to where does it come from so when you launched it in 2013 you were at the forefront of trying to put a tag onto your garments and make it more traceable. I think people are still trying to do it now and somehow you've been doing it for so many years and why are they not why why are we not all doing it is sort of my question. Uh, so why what was that journey look like? Was it difficult to put that in place um, back then? Yeah, it was really difficult to put it back in mm. place. But, but it, that was just what we were talking about. I didn't see why we couldn't do it, you know. And then you realise after a while, no one's done it because it's really, really hard. Yeah. I mean, the advantage that we had was being small I mean, and starting up. So you can be much more agile in that mm. sense. But to find the suppliers who could actually give the information that I wanted um, was really tough. So the first set of suppliers that we work with did it, it fell apart because they couldn't supply supply the information and I probably didn't know enough at that time either so it was fairly um mutual but then um I discovered through LinkedIn actually I, I got connected with a lady called Shailene Yusheth Amin who was still a very good friend and supplier and um she her, she introduced me to the concept of Cardi now what Cardi is it is a fabric but it's also a philosophy and it's about um it's about it's about rural workers in India, and it was I, it was set up by well the history goes back centuries, but Mahatma Gandhi um, put a lot of work into setting up cooperatives for workers who were creating fabric, and this was all to do with independence from Britain, so part of the independence movement. So if you go back to pre-independence cotton was being grown in India and then shipped to the UK to be turned into fabric in our mills in mainly the north of England and then shipped back were shipped everywhere but including to India as cloth and Indian people were not allowed to make their own cloth it was against the law they had to use this cloth that had been um, created in the UK so people were obviously hungry and the rural people had no um no opportunities there to work with the cotton that was actually growing in their fields mm. so um gundy set up um these cooperatives to empower rural workers particularly women to take the cotton that was growing and use sort of traditional techniques like hand spinning and hand weaving to turn that into a cloth so you you got the cardi cloth but there is that philosophy of rural work, cooperatives, women empowerment, handicrafts, etc. So um, I discovered that. And because of the very nature of that fabric, you can trace it back. Um, so that's why we started working with Cardi. And it's a beautiful fabric. I absolutely love it. Mm. I'm in love with Cardi now. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how it started. And with the code, um, obviously, 
they had no idea and had never done anything like that. So that was a, a collaborative thing where I said, this is what I want to do. And they thought I was mad. To be really honest, they thought I was mad that I wanted to stamp this code on. And I did a lot of research at the time around whether we should use QR codes. And at that point, phones didn't really have the same capabilities as now. So we put an alphanumeric code on. Um, the only thing I couldn't persuade them to do is put a different code on each garment. So we compromised on batches of garments have the same code, which I still think is actually pretty cool. Um, but but now since about 2017, 18, we've been putting QR codes on mm -hmm. as well. So people can just scan it and find out. But yeah, the reason I think that um, we were able to do it was one was ignorance. Two was Cardi. Um, three was being a small startup so that we could start from scratch. So I think that for bigger business, try at that point, trying to be backward compatible with the suppliers they already had when most of the time they didn't even know who what sub subcontractors sub their suppliers had, it would have been virtually impossible. But mm -hmm. I do I do think that by us and other brands starting to talk about traceability, um, that has pushed some of these bigger brands into telling a lot more stories about their clothes and some even putting codes on their clothes. The other thing I would say was we started up in 2013 which was actually around the time I think we the business started in 2012 but I didn't register it until 2013 and in March 23rd no April 2013 was the Rana Plaza factory disaster and that opened a lot of people's eyes to what was going on and it also it caused the fashion revolution amazing movement to be set up um, which I think was set up around that time. And the first one was 2014. So, um, yeah. you know, there was a lot that was going on at that time. Um, a lot of people going, this is enough. You know, we've got to yeah. do something about it. That's when I actually first found out about sort of the ethical issues around fashion. Um, I think I launched my brand in 2008, 2009. And there wasn't much talk about ethical fashion and sustainability around that time and nor did I know about where you know where to find that information but when when Rana Plaza happened it was like a real wake-up call for a lot of us and uh, that's and then it's, it's kind of been going since then hasn't it so yeah. they created a momentum where we start talking about sustainability and ethical uh, practices within the fashion industry since then so so why did you decide um, to, so how do you think this code actually benefits the industry as a whole? Um, I think it's because it, it, there's lots of reasons, but one of them is the tra transparency because a lot of the brands just don't know where things came from. So if you can't tell the story of that, then if you don't know as a brand who's making your clothes, how can you know if it's being done in the way that fits your brand values? You know, so yeah. I think that's that's really important. But for me, um, it, it, it benefits so many people. But the key one for me is the actual end consumer of that item because I feel that by building that connection by seeing the faces and hearing the voices of the people who are making your clothes by seeing the fields where the fibers grew um, you know and learning how it was made you build that deeper connection and unfortunately um, our current sort of market system has deliberately pushed people further away from the soil from the makers you know from the stories the, the truths behind their items and it's deliberately done that because it's all based on trying to get you to buy more and more and more so you want to throw it away and you buy another one so you have no emotional connection to that item so having the story to me is about building that emotional connection to that item you can't you know you love it more you you feel much much more centered I suppose when you're wearing it but also if you throw it away aren't you letting down the 
lady um, who made it in the first place, you know, or the gentleman who who farmed the cotton or whatever, you know. So having that kind of connection, you're you're suddenly part of something rather than just it's being chucked over the wall at you. So it, there is an element of that. And another thing I feel really strongly about, growingly strongly about, is allowing the people right at the beginning to tell their stories because otherwise they become nameless faceless people and they and you don't have any empathy for them so you're really empowering the workers as well as the consumers um, on both ends by introducing that transparency it's not just a you know a sustainable knowing what materials is more about the human beings behind everything that they do yeah uh, yeah i mean to be honest when I started with where does it come from, I was pretty ignorant about um, the sort of environmental side of things. Mm. I was much more about the people side of things. And then you can't have one without the other. The more you learn about practices and how they impact the planet, to me, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. So when you're looking at um, people using traditional skills like hand weaving and hand spinning, which are carbon free, you know, mm. and how you farm the cotton. So pesticides are really harmful to the farmers, but they're also really harmful to the planet and you know, the biodiversity in the soil. So to me, they, they, they go together. So I've, I've just, I've mulched them together. Can I just ask you a question about um, hand produced materials and scalability? I'm sure this is something that you have considered in, uh, in your work. How does that work? Because of course, we're so used to fast fashion and uh, it's cheap and it's machine made most, well actually sometimes, but still a lot of it is manual. But um, if you talk about um, work that is largely all handmade, and it will end up costing more because, and also because we are treating our workers uh, fairly and we're paying fair wages. It's also a big difference between this and versus so fast fashion. How do you see that? Um, how do you solve that issue of affordability? Or what, what's your view on that? It's, it's a really, really challenging one. I mean, for me, looking at in a big picture way, we shouldn't be making so much stuff. You know, I think I was on a panel with Safia Mini last year and she was saying that there's already enough clothing in the world for the next 11 years or something. We don't need to be making any more clothes. Of course, we will. And um, the, the way that things are connected together, there's things ending up in landfills so they're making new things. So we will make new clothing. So I suppose bigger picture, we really want to be make, making less and making it better is one thing. Um, how that fits with our current um economic system is the problem and mm. don't get me started on economic system but i think you know it, it's it's so wrong the way that we're we're doing things at the moment because the rewards are all around profit and um not looking at the um the impacts on that profit you know i mean donut economics um kate rayworth talks about this a lot and how you need to be looking at the other impacts instead of just the financial impacts you know um but it's it's a challenging one. I mean, we we do a lot of um, B two B work with big companies, um, and getting those companies is really hard because they're used to a certain way of working. And then trying to say, well, look, we need longer to do this because it's being done. In, it's not they don't exist already. Is one thing they're being made for you. I don't I don't really like the. Well, actually, I really strongly dislike the idea of having loads of warehouses full of stuff in case people buy them. I think you need to be making things that people actually want to buy. So that's, that's one change of the model. 
So um, I think you want to be saying to a customer, they come along and they say, we want a thousand T-shirts. You say, OK, we're making it out a thousand T-shirts. We need to go back to the field. This is the cotton crop that's happening now. That will be harvested at this time. And then it needs to be spun, woven or whatever, knitted into T-shirts. Um, and then they'll be ready for you by July, say. And they go, well, hang on a minute. We, we, we want to order them and then we want them in two weeks. No, 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 that's not how we do it. Yeah. So there's a whole philosophy thing there. And I think to be candid, we probably it's probably very challenging for a brand like where does it come from to become a huge brand because of that philosophy but I still think it's the right thing but this is your business and your philosophy and your values which is it's all based around that and in a way I guess uh, growth I mean we talk about uh, well me and my work quite often talk about degrowth mm. well so it's not all about sort of huge numbers um so the impact that we make sometimes is more important. It's, it's sort of trying to find a balance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've thought a few times about going along the getting investment route. Mm. Um, and I've you know, gone along to seminars and I've talked to people and talked to investors. And But I've always chickened out, to be honest, because I don't want to start getting the pressures of um, not finding the right per- person who then starts pushing you towards a mass market thing you know and I am a chicken if anyone um, if I if I found the right investor who really bought into the model then I think I would probably go for it but at the moment I haven't Mm. done that I'd rather stay fairly small and have the influence um, where we where we have it but never say never well a big part of that um, you talk about influence the impact that you make on other things it kind of um, precedes the the financial investment perhaps perhaps Um, yeah. So um, which leads actually uh, me to perhaps tell people um, I wasn't going to do it today, but yeah, we should tell on. people about all your project that we're working on. Um, so. Things we're talking about influence and um, impact that we both very strongly believe in. Uh, shall we? Yeah, and I think we want to give a shout out to to the lovely Matt Miller as well, because he he brought us together to talk about um an advocacy advocate can't say that word advocacy program didn't they to pull us into his yeah. network and then when yeah. you and I were planning that we came we were basically saying actually we've got a really good idea here and we worked on it um for uh basically will I say it will I say it yeah you you you, you go ahead you introduce <laughs> so a big announcement Chasing so, um, and I will be launching in a few months a um, training program, really, I suppose you would call it, for people who want to set up an ethical fashion brand but don't know how to go about it because we've both done it and we've both been in the industry for quite a long time now and we've both made mistakes and we've both learned a lot and built up a lot of amazing contacts and um, we want to share it with people. That's basically it. we want to share it with people. So we've come up with the idea of um, how to launch a successful, sustainable fashion brand in seven steps. But we need to come up with a better name. Yeah. So basically, that's it. I think that's really exciting because it actually covers everything that we have spoken about today. Um, sourcing, transparency, um, human cost, I think is really important. But we will also cover things like uh, marketing, how to brand, because it's really important. That's the one thing that I learned uh, through my journey of um, running a, a sustainable fashion brand is that how important it is. I actually didn't do much marketing at the first few years of my brand. And needless to say, 
because I didn't market it, uh, sales was not huge. Um, it was um, so through that journey, um, I really understood how important that is. So we, we were talk, talking about um, communications, marketing, greenwashing. We, we should cover greenwashing as well because that's a big problem. And some brands don't know that they're greenwashing whilst they're doing it um, because they don't have that knowledge. So yeah, keeps um, keep keep your uh, tuned or however yeah. you say it. <laughs> we will yeah. launch it. Uh, we will let you know when we want to launch it. So thank you so much, Joe, for coming um, today to talk about um, your work and your very important work within sort of the fashion industry and enlighten us more about your thinking in terms of fashion and where does it come from and the importance of it all. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you again. I will speak to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you would like more tips, ideas and thoughts on how to launch, grow and scale a purpose-driven business and also hear from other purpose-driven entrepreneurs about their journeys, please follow the podcast and remember, lead with purpose.